Hi, I'm Robert Veal. Welcome to The Thinking Traveller, Academy Travel's podcast series that draws on the passions and expertise of people in the world of art, music and travel, one topic at a time. In 2021, Academy Travel is partnering with the Canberra International Music Festival, whose festival theme is The Idea of Vienna. So far, we've spoken with the festival's composer-in-residence, Brian Howard, on his idea of the idea of Vienna, and we're currently midway through an online course on the music of Vienna. Today, I'm talking to Melbourne-based composer Katie Abbott. Katie's extended work, Hidden Thoughts, Do I Matter?, is having its premiere season this year. After a long gestation complicated by COVID-19 and the cancellation of festivals around the country, Katie's sophisticated, accessible style has seen her works performed by orchestras, ensembles and choirs around the country, and frequently she collaborates with writers and visual artists to tell stories with her music. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for having me. Now, Mozart first performed before the public when he was five, and his first composition dates from when he was about 11. You came to music late in life, when you were 27. So what happened? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's funny how uh, how life happens, isn't it? I was the kid who looked out the window at school who didn't really have much drive. I was totally living in my imagination. And I tried all sorts of things when I finished school, including starting and uh, quickly uh, ending a, a nursing career. And when I was 27, I was teaching, oh, sorry, when I was a little younger than that, I was teaching in a high school and I started some choirs, one for the senior students and one for the staff. And I asked my principal whether I could go to the World Choral Symposium in Sydney in 1996, which he kindly allowed me to do. And instead of going to the choral conducting workshops, I found myself at all of the composition workshops and it was literally an overnight change I woke up one morning and thought, I really want to try this composition thing, and the fire was lit. That's an amazing uh, disco- That's an amazing thing to discover about yourself, I think, at that age, to discover that passion. Um, you seem to love storytelling, and I noticed on your website, you know, you chose to quote an audience member who, who praises your surprising, engaging storytelling. There are lots of ways of approaching music and composition, so do you see it principally as storytelling? Um, I don't know about principally, but absolutely it's a very important part of my artistic practice. And I remember talking to my dad once very early in my career when I had to write a program note for a, a concert about one of my pieces which had no words and I said, oh, Dad, I don't know what to write and I don't feel confident here. And he said, the audience want to know about how they can connect to your music and they want the human element And ever since then, I've always sought out and wanted to connect with the human aspect of the music. And for me, that's about storytelling. Right. Okay. That's interesting and very different from the way I know many sort of more academic composers, if you like, um, approach it from a far more conceptual or abstract uh, framework. Yes, that's right. I'm, uh, although I'm an academic, I still like to write how I talk. So uh, I think my my program notes are often quite chatty 
and and I hope that they're very accessible for an audience. Well, talking about talking, um, we've got this fascinating question in music about setting words to music. And one of the often asked questions is, which comes first, the music or the words? Now, in your case, obviously, if you're setting a pre-existing text to music, obviously you're aware of the text before you begin writing, but that doesn't mean that the process of composition is one of simply setting words to music in a linear fashion, line after line. So, I mean, how do you approach it? Well, the process is always interesting for me. I describe myself as having a haphazard approach that always turns out in the end. And uh, once I accepted this about myself, um, I sort of surrendered to it and then began to really notice what my process is. And it's absolutely not linear. So I spend time with the words that are in front of me, absorbing them, speaking them out aloud, singing them. So if I have an instrument, I would say it's, uh, it's my voice. It's a lot of my composition, even if it's for orchestra, I sing a lot of the lines in order to create them. So when, you, as, a, as a singer, you have the, the words and the music in your body and they have to come out. So I'm noticing what it feels like to speak, how to sing, where the emphasis is on each word and where the importance of the meaning is um, and what the inherent rhythmic structure is for each each of the words. So I will often talk to uh, any person that's given me words and say, please may I have some freedom to be able to move the words around, repeat words, omit phrases, repeat phrases and uh, and jump around a little bit and for those that where I've developed a collaborative relationship, they they understand that I'm honouring the words in that process. Absolutely. And look, it's a fundamental aspect of music, isn't it? This element of repetition and elaboration, which works quite differently uh, to language. Correct. Yeah, very much so. So tell us a little bit about your sound world or your sound worlds, if you like. You've got a unique contemporary voice, but there seem to be all sorts of nods when I listen to your music to different genres and periods, everything from uh, plain chant, uh, right through to film music. You seem to be a bit of a, a bowerbird. <laughs> That's right. I call myself a magpie, actually. Well, <laughs> so <I'm> similar. <laughs> similar. I'm glad that you um, that you picked that up because that's important to me. I seem to pick up or find myself attracted to different sounds, and they're not always from the same kind of source. So they may not always be from classical music because I don't have a classical music background. It might be from pop song. It might be from bird song, although not a lot. It might be from the, well, I wrote a piece once where I used my Nespresso coffee machine drone. I noticed that I was singing a melody above the drone and I ended up using that in a, in a piece trying to emulate the drones with, um, with trombones. That was really fun. So often my sound is derived from what I'm listening to at the time or, or often just what I come across. I'm a big believer in leaving room for magic and I think when I have that um, concept. I'm just more aware of of the sounds out there in the world. Right. So let's turn now to uh, the works that being the work that is being performed uh, in Canberra this year. You describe uh, Hidden Thoughts as a project. So tell us about that project firstly. Well, Hidden Thoughts, Do I Matter is is a heart project for me. It's a culmination of of my strengths and my limitations and I was trying to find some a way 
to not just write another piece of music, um, something that meant something more to me. And so when I looked at my strengths and limitations, it seemed obvious to me that I would write a vocal piece. I would find the words uh, in the just in the world and I decided to interview women and I asked them for their hidden thoughts. So in the in this anonymous survey that I sent out, I asked women what they'd like to be brave about, what they'd like to be braver about, and whether they had hidden thoughts and feelings and would they tell me what they were. So that was one element of the project or the piece. The next element was choosing the words from the reams and reams of material that I um, that I received. People were so generous with with their thoughts, and I really enjoyed picking through the the thoughts and and choosing what might make a one hour piece, and then of course com- uh, composing the piece. That you must have uh, come across some rather private thoughts. You're preparing for a public performance of the work, but I'm sure some people, perhaps not thinking of that, revealed to you. Did you have to think twice about the inclusion of some things or were you surprised by some of the input that you got? I was thrilled with some of the input that I got. Each participant knew that the words may end up in a composition. So by pressing submit on the Google survey, they were giving me permission to uh, to include their words should I wish to. Some people I think were using the forum as a way to get things off their chest, which I found really honouring, but some of them were quite dark themes mm. and I didn't feel would um, benefit the person who submitted them, perhaps not the audience in that particular um, setting. That's a rather hard call to make, isn't it, that one? About it was what... hard, yeah, but I definitely read every single survey that was submitted to me and I read everything that people wrote and about 20 30% of people effusely said thank you for allowing them to have the opportunity to, to write. Now, specifically, of course, it's about women's hidden thoughts and it was part of the project, therefore, to give a voice and a public a public voice, a public forum for those thoughts which perhaps people felt they didn't have a voice? Yes, I often, I realise even as a child, I used to walk down the street and wonder what the people walking towards me were thinking. And I used to feel cross when, um, you know, for example, you know, someone would cut someone else off in the traffic and there'd be a yelling match about who was right. And I thought, oh, why can't we just except that that person might have had a bad day. So when I was thinking about whose voices would I um, gather, I thought, well, I know women. I've spent my life with women. I've, I've been through kindergarten with other mothers and primary school and high school. And originally I was just going to interview middle-aged women because that's my my demographic. But I was um, really thrilled when I received an Australia Council Australia. Council of the Arts grant to write a full 60-minute piece. So I was able to extend the age group to 18 plus. Right. Now, having talked about that, uh, your the second part of this project now falls into place and this was uh, Return to Sender and this was based on the so-called Julian Burnside letters, which were 2,000 letters which Burnside encouraged ordinary Australians to write to refugees on Nauru 
Island. Uh, that was performed thanks to COVID. That also had a complicated history. It was performed uh, last year with the Melbourne Digital uh, Concert Hall uh, series. So can I take it that your objective was uh, rather similar, to give voice to an unvoiced uh, group of people? That's right, because those letters were all returned unopened and undelivered, and I asked Julian if I might use these letters and I spent quite a few months opening them and reading the voices of Australians. So although their voices are not, you know, they're not hidden thoughts, certainly the letters were hidden and I thought that and I was really keen to be able to voice those letters so that people, so that the people for whom they were written might have a chance to hear them. And actually what what ended up happening because of COVID and the performance on the Melbourne Digital Concert Hall, it was, you know, broadcast. People could watch it through their computers. And it, as it happened, some, some asylum seekers who were on, I think, Manus Island at the time were then in Melbourne detention and we were able to get them tickets to watch the, um, the concert. So they were able to directly hear some of the, the content that was meant for them. And they would never have known. It seems a terribly cruel thing to have done to have returned those letters to senders. So it's so quite awful. a political statement, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as well. So for the performance coming up in a couple of weeks' time in Canberra, there's an unknown element, a surprise element in the way that you've written the work. And we don't quite know what's going to happen, do we? No, we don't. And even I won't know what's going to happen until the performance itself. So I love trying to connect with my audience in whatever way that is. And in this particular piece, the audience um, of any gender may come in and if they wish to, they can submit an anonymous hidden thought. And I've created a spot or a space in the score where some of those hidden thoughts will be sung or spoken during that performance. So where someone has previously not ever said something out aloud before or acknowledged it, it will then be returned to them in a public setting, albeit anonymous. I'm very curious about what that experience is like for um, for the audience. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to be in the audience. Well, Katie, we're looking forward so much to hearing uh, this work. I think for many of us, it's going to be a highlight in the festival. Thank you today for sharing a little bit about yourself and a bit of about the way that you work uh, as a composer, your sound world, uh, about setting text to music, but also introducing us uh, to this work uh, that we'll be hearing, Hidden Thoughts, Do I Matter? Now, at the with the email that's associated with this podcast, with the link, uh, we've got a link to your website, which has got the, uh, a recording that people can listen to and prepare themselves uh, for, for the performance that takes place in the Canberra International Music Festival. Katie Abbott, thank you so much for sharing your not-so-hidden thoughts with us this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Uh-huh.